So we're in John chapter 8, and uh, this, this truth that uh, the truth of Jesus offers freedom. You know, every person wants to feel free, freedom, a sense of adventure uh, is within every one of us. And uh, I don't know if you uh, like to watch movies. Raise your hand if you like to watch movies. Yeah, I, I do. Jeannie and I enjoy watching movies. We, we watched one recently called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but this is my favorite kind of movie because it's a, it's a movie uh, where there is some sense of, of conflict that ends up in adventure. And uh, Walter Mitty, it's played by Ben Stiller. Uh, he's a daydreamer. Uh, in the early part of the movie, we find him in his, in his job where he's stuck. And he's stuck in, uh, a, in only being able to escape into adventure through his own fantasies. And so he's, he's kind of weak. But uh, he, there's a threat that he might lose his job. And so he, he embarks on this journey that actually takes him physically to places that he never thought he would go. He experiences an extraordinary adventure. So there is a longing in him in the early part of the movie to experience adventure, but all he can do is is fantasize about it. But eventually, his circumstance draws him out of this this, uh, mere fantasy to actually living an adventure. And near the end of the movie, we see him on this mountaintop experiencing incredible adventure. I love movies like that, and it reminds me that within every person is a desire to move beyond just fantasizing about freedom and adventure to actually experiencing it. Well, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus offers freedom. Jesus offers the kind of freedom that we need. Now, I want to be clear about something. Freedom is not no rules. Freedom is not uh, eliminating all rules so you can do whatever you want. Freedom is when we know what the boundaries are for real joy so we can experience life within those boundaries. Jesus says in verse 31 of John chapter 8, look there with me uh, and read that passage. Uh, Just listen as I read the passage. John chapter 8 verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is so interesting because, first of all, we ask, well, who is he talking here to? He's talking to the Jews who had believed in him. This is an interesting phrase because belief is really important to John throughout his gospel. Do you remember in John chapter 20, verse 31, that's a purpose statement of the book? John says, that he wrote this gospel, this book that we call John, uh, for, for this reason. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Did you get that? John's writing so that you would believe, and by believing you will have life in his name. So belief is very important. In my study, one thing that I've done is I've highlighted every time the word belief is used. Belief, believe, believer, something like that. And it's incredible. Dozens and dozens of times John uses this. So the notion of belief is so important. Now, I'm not talking here uh, out of John chapter 20. John is not talking about some kind of cursory or surface level 
belief. But what John is doing is hoping that the readers will believe in a real, deep kind of a way. Do you know what I mean? I mean? Let's think about that. We're saying the word belief, but I don't mean cursory, surface level kind of belief. I mean like the belief that's in your soul, the belief that is in you, that moves you to tears, the kind of belief that compels you uh, to get up out of your seat. I'm talking about soul level belief. Now, In this passage, in John chapter 8, John first describes the people that are listening to what Jesus says as the Jews who had believed in him. But what we see about this group of people, that they they had a belief. I mean, it was was a cursory, surface-level, inauthentic, merely lip-service kind of belief. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, if we skip down to several places in John chapter 8, like verse 34. We see in verse 34, Jesus answers them, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So he's intimating that these people are slaves to sin. Verse 37 reveals that they are indifferent to Jesus' words. They're, They're careless about what Jesus is saying. Verse 44, they're described as children of the devil. And he says that your will is to do your father's desires. In other words, the the devil's desires. This is what he's saying about this group of people that John has described as believers, but we're realizing that they're not really genuine believers. Verse 55, they're called liars. And then in verse 59, what do they try to do? They try to stone Jesus. They try to kill him. And so whenever John describes these people as believers we're realizing that they're surface-level believers. They're not really genuine believers. I mean, believers don't try to stone Jesus. It is possible for someone to profess belief and be hanging around Jesus, but not truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's possible. Especially in our part of the world where Christianity is still kind of culturally vogue. I mean, certainly there are those that oppose Christianity and the Christian faith, but most people that I come in contact with on a weekly basis would would claim to be at least affectionate towards Christ and would probably describe themselves as Christian. But Jesus has already exposed people for what we could call like a fickle faith. There are crowds of people that are gathering around him throughout his ministry up to this point. But they, but they believe in him. They don't genuinely believe. It's a surface level kind of belief. Here's an example. In um, an earlier passage, John chapter 4, Jesus is visited by an official, a government official. And, um, and this government official heard about all the things that Jesus was doing and that people were gathering around Jesus for miracles and signs and whatnot. And so this, this government official who had a sick child brings this child to Jesus in verse 47 of chapter 4. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. And Jesus rebukes him. He says, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? 
So it's interesting because this official believed that Jesus could heal his son, but Jesus is saying, no, you don't really believe in me in the way that you must believe in me. And of course, we know that the story goes on that the official has faith enough to ask Jesus again, please just heal my son. And Jesus actually does heal his son. This idea of of surface level kind of cursory belief versus really genuine belief reminds me of a passage in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So here we see that there's a group of people that look religious, but they do not have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's evidence in the fact that in other areas of life, they continue to break God's laws. It would be refused admission into the kingdom because there was no relationship. So it's possible for someone, uh, maybe even one of us, to profess belief in Jesus as Savior and not truly be his disciple. So it begs the question, how can we be sure that we are truly the disciples of Jesus Christ or in the words of John, how can we be sure that we've received the truth that sets us free? Is it possible that someone thinks that they're a follower or a believer in Jesus Christ and not be? I I think probably so. Well, what we see from the passage is that someone has received the truth and the kind of truth that will set them free. If you abide in my word, is what Jesus says, you are truly my disciples. This is an interesting kind of concept, this idea of abiding in my word. Uh, So let's try to get at it here for a minute. Because I don't know about you, but this is interesting, and I'm sort of sorting out in my own mind, okay, what does it mean to really believe? I mean, how do we know? I want this kind of truth that sets me free. If you abide in my word, you'll truly be my disciples. Where where the, the verb here, to abide, means to remain. This theme is critically important, and we're actually going to talk about it again in a few weeks in John chapter 15. But this, this idea of remaining uh, touches on this, this, uh, this, this emotion or this, this word perseverance. So there is a sense in which perseverance reveals who are truly the disciples of Jesus Christ. If you abide, a person that is abiding obeys Jesus seeks to understand the word, that finds the word of God more precious, more controlling, and, uh, and enough to compel them to resist the temptation around them to disobey God. It's the one who abides, remains, perseveres with Jesus that is truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, a person that tethers themselves to Jesus for life. I had an interesting experience yesterday. As, as many of you know, I, uh, for fun, am involved in triathlon. And so I was asked to volunteer yesterday at Ironman Texas. And uh, it's such an incredible experience. I love the community that, that compete in these triathlons. They're so 
driven and disciplined, and I just love being around them. And so I went yesterday, and I, I volunteered in uh, what's called T2, Transition 2. So, you know, they swim, then they go into Transition 1, and they change from their swim gear to their bike gear, and then after their bike, they move into Transition 2, and they change from their bike gear to their run gear. Well, by the time they get to Transition 2, they have been exercising for hours and hours. And so, as you can imagine, it's horrible and smelly and disgusting, and and in some weird kind of way, for me, it was really awesome, you know, because uh, these guys are coming in here, they're fumbling into the room, and um, now the pros, these guys are in here and out, like no big deal, and, you know, it's like I'm just about to run a, a marathon, you know, after biking 112 miles and swimming 2.4 miles, they're going to run a marathon at, with six-minute mile pace, I and mean, these guys are incredible, you know, but, but about, about three o'clock, the guys that are coming in there are struggling, they are really, really struggling. And so you see all kinds of interesting things. And, and something that I saw yesterday that really reminded me of this idea of abiding was I saw these two competitors coming into T2 together. And uh, they, were, they were tethered together. They had a rope that they were each holding. And what I learned was that one of them was blind. So these two men one of them being blind, completed an entire Ironman together. And when they came into T2 to, to get into their run gear, what struck me was that if it weren't for this blind man choosing to tether himself to this, to this other man, that he would not be able to finish a race. He would, he would not be able to know where to go on the course, He would be a danger to himself and a danger to others. He would probably still be in the water trying to find the exit. I mean, if he were swimming blind. And and, and I thought about this and what an incredible picture of what it means to abide. We are saying, Jesus, I want to tether myself to you. I admit I'm blind. I want to run the race. I want to experience the adventure that is being in Christ and being at peace with God but I'm blind and I need your help. So I'm going to tether myself to you by studying your word and by gathering with other believers and by repenting of sin and by prayer and by solitude and by these other Christian practices. And so I'm going to do these things to, to, to tether myself to you because I want to go somewhere. I want to cross that finish line. And the thing about being an Ironman is the most incredible words that these people hear, and that I got to hear in November of, 2000, of last year, was Russell Cravens, you are an Ironman. And I imagine the day when each of us in Christ will cross the finish line and God himself will say, you are my child. This is what it means to be abiding We choose to tether ourselves to Jesus for life. It's a settled determination to live in the word of Christ and by it. We listen to it, we reflect on it, we hold fast to it. We carry out its commands. We are commanded to abide. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, this This abiding reveals whether or not you truly are. You say, what what right does Jesus have to command a person 
to tether themselves to him? I mean, this is the question that the Jews had. And Jesus answers them in verse 58. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, Abraham was, for those Jews, their spiritual father. They saw him as the kind of beginning of their race, which he was. And so Jesus is telling them, I'm before Abraham. I speak with the authority of God. And so what did they do? They chose to pick up stones to try to kill him. Jesus has the authority to command our obedience because he is God in the flesh. You know, abiding in Christ is a fantastic thing. The kind of freedom that comes from Understanding this truth is remarkable. And there are several things that abiding in Christ frees us from. First of all, abiding in Christ frees us from the power of sin. Do you know, in verse 36, it says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The thing about being in Christ is you are free from the power of sin. You do not have to be enslaved to sin anymore. Now, sometimes, because we struggle with areas of sin, we feel like we're chained to it. We're chained to that addiction or chained to that life habit. or We're chained to something that we know that uh, dishonors the Lord. But you don't have to be slaves to that thing. In Christ, you're free. This is a wonderful thing that, that God offers us through Jesus Christ is the freedom from sin. We don't have to be slaves to it anymore. In fact, we have the same power within us that was used to raise Jesus from the dead is what the Bible says. We are freed from the power of sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're also freed from empty pursuits. We don't have to wonder what the course looks like. When you're in Christ and abiding in Christ, you step where Jesus steps. You go where he leads you. There are times when those competitors in an Ironman, the the blind one and and the one that's leading, there are times when they're talking and they'll say to him, okay, up here is a right. And there are other times where he's just tugging that rope. This is what it's like in a relationship with Jesus is we get tethered to Jesus and we trust. Jesus, I trust that you know where you're going. I'm going to Abide in you, and I'm going to get to follow you into an adventure. Is it going to be easy? No. But you know, the difficulty of it is oftentimes the thing, the place that we learn the most. We're free from the power of sin, which is so encouraging, because I don't know about you, but I'm tempted by things that I feel powerless to at times. But I must remember that I'm freed from the power of that sin. I'm freed from empty pursuits. I mean, what are you going to give your life to? Do you know 50 years, not trying to depress you, but in 50 years, most of the people in this room are going to be dead or nearing death. Let's go 75 years. All of us are going to be dead. What are you doing with your life? What are you pursuing? Is it empty or is it something that you know that you're stepping with Jesus and you're on course to experience the adventure that God has for you? You know what? Abiding in Christ also does is it frees us from isolation. One of the most 
wonderful things about being in Christ is that in Christ, you also get to become a part of this body called the body of Christ, of other believers. And we, we um, tend to, in our way of thinking in the West, to, to be very individualistic. But you know, in Christ, what we say is, I want to identify myself with other believers, and we're in this together. I had a conversation with somebody this week who was struggling about something in the church. And, um, and so I just reminded him that uh, he was like a hand, and the hand has to communicate with the brain, and the brain has to communicate with the hand, and the hand has to communicate with the elbow, and so that his concern or his pain was, was valid and was important to the rest of the body. And so we just talked, and I represented the body to him and, and cared for him, and I said, you're a part of something, and the hand doesn't make decisions on its own anymore. The hand is a part of something. So in Christ, we, we are free from isolation. You're not alone. You get to be a part of something. You get to move together and grow together. And so in some ways, we are all tethered together, tethered to Christ. Which is, which is pretty awesome. You don't have to struggle alone. We get to rejoice with you when you're rejoicing like you graduating is, is us graduating. You celebrating is us celebrating. And you hurting is us hurting. You mourning is us mourning. You're no longer isolated. This is one of the most powerful truths of being in Christ is that we are a part of something. We're a part of a community, which is wonderful. So the question here is, uh, how will you respond you say, I want to be free. Well, you need the truth that sets you free. Well, how do you get that truth? By abiding in Christ. So, so how will you respond to this command by Jesus to abide in him so that you can experience the truth that sets you free? Uh, will you throw stones? Will you say, no, I don't need that. I'm doing good on my own. That is, in essence, throwing stones. You can choose to do that. You can choose to throw stones. But if you do, you will remain a slave to sin. You will continue pursuing empty idols. And you will continue to be isolated. So you can respond by throwing stones at Jesus. Or you can respond by saying, you know what? I will abide. I will tether myself to Jesus. And let him take me on an adventure that's far greater and far more exciting than anything that I could do for myself. You know, as we sort of tease out the difference between cursory level belief and genuine abiding belief, what we see in John's gospel is that Jesus isn't particularly interested in just multiplying large numbers of converts just to say, hey, we have a lot of people. But what he's insisting upon here is that the disciples, the people that are following him, have a genuine belief in him. Now, just a short time after this teaching, Jesus was crucified. He went to the cross and in dying for sin, and then three days later being raised from the dead, this is the way for us to really experience the kind of life that brings freedom. If there was no death and no resurrection, then 
we wouldn't even have the option of tethering ourselves to Jesus. It's as if the blind athlete is out there unaware of where to go and even what to do. And Jesus pursues them, offers a link, and says, come with me. This is the beautiful news of the Bible, the beautiful good news of the Bible. So how will you respond? Will you throw stones or will you abide in his word? I hope and pray that we will all be people who are growing in our understanding of what it means to abide so that we can experience the kind of freedom that only Jesus can give. Let's pray together.